We're going to be looking in Genesis chapter 27 tonight and uh, beginning a series of messages for our Sunday night service on the life of Jacob. And uh, I'm going to call this very simply from Jacob to Israel, of course, because that's what we're going to see transpire. Uh, how that God takes a man named Jacob, uh, changes his character and his name into Israel and all that goes along with that. Before we begin Jacob's story, really, we're going to start out tonight. It all started back when, well, it all started in Jacob's family. Genesis chapter 27 and verse 1. Now it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim that he could not see, he called Esau his older son and said to him, My son, and he answered him, Here I am. And he said, Behold, now I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now, therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and make me savory food such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son. And Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make savory food for me, that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. May God bless the reading of his word tonight. It's my prayer. Uh, the life story of Jacob who by God's grace would become the man Israel. Uh, along with his family, he of course would become the nation, the nation of Israel that bears his name. And since it was this family, by the way, that would uh, bring in the Messiah, God's promised one, uh, into the world, the Savior of the world, your Savior and mine, I think we could make a pretty good argument that the family of Jacob was in a way the most important family that there ever was in a way. I mean, you could argue, I know, Mary and Joseph and Jesus, obviously that was a great family, but if it hadn't been for Jacob and Esau and Isaac and Rebekah and Abraham and Sarah, that's where it all began. And of course, uh, the very fact that we're going all the way back to the book of Genesis should tell us this is indeed where it all gets started. It all gets started here. And so we're considering to, over the next few weeks uh, the life of Jacob. But as we do, we're going to begin here with the life of Isaac. His birth, of course, was a miracle. Uh, born to Abraham and Sarah long after they had passed the age of childbearing, um, prophesied, promised. His life would quick, quickly progress in the story in the book of Genesis to that act of faith in submitting to his father and to the word of the Lord and his willingness to become a sacrifice there on Mount Moriah. It would then move quickly to how that uh, Isaac had a wife wooed for him. Is that a good word? Wooed. How do you like that one? Pull that one out of the past. Uh, a wife wooed for him by Abraham's servant. 
Got a plan? Go down over here. Don't want, to, uh, don't want my son marrying a, a Canaanite woman. We're going to send him back. to. And sure enough, this servant went over there, and he prayed a simple prayer. He said, Lord, you know, let this girl that comes and offers to water my livestock, well, well you let that be the one. Sure enough, it was Rebecca. Didn't hurt that she was pretty. Uh, he gathered her up that day, just about, took her home. And uh, Isaac saw her, fell in love. Isaac married Rebecca. He had two boys, Jacob and Esau, and he dug wells. That's about it. I say that because the story of Isaac's life is kind of sandwiched between the story of his father and his son. Child of promise, he was. Long-awaited child of promise, Isaac. And Isaac, shall thy seed be called? Isaac got married, had a couple of boys, dug wells. I wish his story ended on a higher note than what it does here, but we really can't tell the story of Jacob without considering this passage here before us tonight. This is where it's all going to begin. The years go flying by as they do for us all. Amen? Now, in the story that we have today in our text, Genesis 27, Isaac is 137 years old, and he's feeling every bit of it. This man who began his life as a glorious picture of Jesus Christ, unfortunately, he's going to end his life as a picture of a carnal, fleshly-dominated believer, Isaac. Paul warned the church of Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, You are yet carnal, for where it says among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? Uh, whenever there is envying and strife and division among God's people, somebody's in the flesh. That's what Paul said first, that right there, 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 3. Somebody is carnal. Somebody is walking according to their fleshly desires and appetites. And the strife and the division... Uh, that is evidence in Isaac's family is proof positive that there was a lot of carnality going on. The scripture gives us a simple expression of it. In verse 28 of Genesis chapter 25, Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now that doesn't sound like much of a reason for Isaac to love Esau more than Jacob. He loved him because he brought him deer meat. I can understand it if they said, well, you know, uh, him, and I, him and Esau hunted a lot together. Uh, the, the, the Bible doesn't say that. Uh, it, or they worked together every day. No, the Bible doesn't say that. I can understand it if, I, if the Bible said, well, you know, Isaac and Esau were just like two peas in a pod, and, 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 and you see one, you see the other. Mm, none of that. All the Bible tells us as to why Isaac loved Esau was because he brought him deer meat. That's it. Doesn't tell us any reason why that Rebekah loved Jacob other than perhaps it might have been a natural response to the fact that Isaac clearly, obviously favored Esau. And so the mom, being the mom, We'll try to make up for that. I don't know. doesn't tell us at all. 
loving one son over another because of food is a little difficult for us to comprehend, but the Bible spells it out. Genesis chapter 24 and verse 67 tells us, Isaac brought her, that's Rebekah, into his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah and she became his wife, and he loved her. He loved her. Next step, Genesis 25, 28, Isaac loved Esau because of his dear meat. Then the next one, Genesis chapter 27, our text tonight, Now therefore take, I pray thee, thy weapons, thy quiver, and thy bow, and go out to the field, and take me some venison, and make me savory meat, such as I love. I love Rebekah, I love Esau, I love deer meat. <laughs> That's Isaac. It's right there in the text, guys. It's right there. Well, when you think about that, it's no wonder that his favorite son, Esau, would sell his birthright for a bowl of beans. And now we're going to see the story of his father willing to exchange the blessing for a meal, some savory meat. I like to think it was at least tenderloin. Amen, God. I mean, it had to be backstrap. At the very least, it had to be. You know, families of believers are still composed of people. And in all our hearts, there resides our poten the potential for going in the wrong direction. Isaac was to be the spiritual leader of his family, and he was. But we have the story here in these short chapters devoted to his life of how that Isaac was leading his family in a very bad direction. And his family would end up, in a way, his boys would end up paying the price for that for a long, long time. You know, it usually doesn't happen with a great decision or a great event. It can. There are times when people make a bad choice, make a bad decision, like Lot, who made that decision to pitch his tent towards Sodom. One decision, one choice, and it was his downfall. It ruined him, ruined his family. We know about that. We can see it. We can chart it. But oftentimes, it's not some major decision that we make. It's just a series of small decisions. It's not that we just turn away from God. I think a lot of times it's just kind of like Isaac. We just kind of drift away. Weeks live without devotion to God suddenly can turn into months and even years. And the characteristics that once so prominently identified us with Christ. Think about it. The man who lay down on, his, on the altar on Mount Moriah to submit to his father and to his God ends up his life saying, I love dear meat. How can this happen? Well, tonight we'll see how it plays out. And the first thing we see is the dilemma. Uh, in verse 1, uh, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, he answered, Here I am. And he said, Behold, now I'm old. I do not know the day of my death. There's several things that the Bible mentions here in Isaac's life. First of all, it mentions his darkness. Uh, that is, he couldn't see very well anymore. But Isaac, I think, is suffering from a deeper form of darkness. It is the darkness that descends on the soul when the joy and the enthusiasm and the excitement of life and living and of serving God is gone. Uh, 
Many years ago, I heard uh, a preacher preach a message on <clears throat> the first uh, uh, church at uh, the church at Ephesus out of the book of Revelation, and he called it "When the Thrill Is Gone," because he said they had left their first love. They'd left their first love, and the thrill of serving the Lord and the joy and the enthusiasm and the excitement is somehow gone. Now, let me make this clear: If you're a believer in Christ, you're not going to lose your relationship with God. But you can lose the joy of your relationship with God. That's why David said in Psalm chapter 51, Restore to me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Esau had descended in a darkness, a physical darkness he couldn't see, but also a spiritual darkness. We also see that he was preoccupied with death. Now, it may have been the fact that his stepbrother, Ishmael, had died at the exact same age that he now was. I mean, that's got a way on your mind. Uh, Ishmael died at 137. Now, I'm 137, uh, so I know that I'm old and I'm going to die sometime. So I want you to go do something so I can bless you before I die. He's preoccupied with his death. Now, how long was it going to be before Isaac actually died? I'm glad you asked that. 43 years. 43 years it would be before he would actually die. But when we put his failing health, his advancing years, his obvious emotional and spiritual problems, we see him preoccupied with his own death. I think we can safely add in another subject, and that is depression. Now, depression is nothing to play with. Clinical depression is a serious illness. It happens. Uh, it is treatable, thankfully, for the most part, but it is nothing to play with. Let's understand that depression as a disease can be and often is fatal. It can be and often is fatal. Nothing to fool with. But Isaac was struggling. He was struggling with his failing health, his advancing years, preoccupied with his death, living under this gloomy perspective. He decides then to give the beloved Esau his blessing. Now the blessing is ripe with both spiritual and physical considerations. Ultimately, it would entitle Esau to a double portion of his father's goods, uh, that was the blessing. Uh, but there was altogether more to it than that. Because the father then would pronounce a blessing upon that son. And that blessing, whatever it was, would have tremendous, long-standing, far-reaching implications that would often go far beyond that person himself. You think about the time when Jacob himself, leaning on the staff at the end of his life, and we'll get to that great passage, when he calls his boys together and he begins to pronounce on them certain blessings. And his blessing, of course, would fall on none other, not his firstborn, oh no, not his secondborn, oh no, it would fall on Judah. We'll see that's a great, great passage. The blessing was tremendously significant. You know, when he tried to bless Esau, he was moving contrary to the clearly revealed truth of God. 
Genesis chapter 25, you'll remember this passage, but the children, this is Rebecca, struggled together within her, and she said, if all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, two people shall be separated from your body, one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. God said that before they were ever born. What Isaac is trying to do in this passage is to contrive a way to pass on this prophetic blessing to Esau, to make Esau the blessed one, to make Esau the greater one, even though he knew beyond any shadow of a doubt that God had said the elder would serve the younger. That's perhaps the most difficult part of living in the kind of darkness that Isaac was living in, they end up ignoring the clearly revealed truth of God and pursuing what feels right or looks right or is what we want. Dominated by the fleshly appetites, dominated by what we want, rather than creating an, a, a, an atmosphere where we honor God and follow His Word. That's the dilemma. Then the duplicity. Verse 9, go now to the flock and bring uh, from there two choice kids of the goats and I will make savory food for them for your father such as he loves. Then you shall take it to your father that he may eat it and that he may bless you before his death. Uh, that was Rebekah's word to her son, Jacob. So Rebekah took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. Then she gave the savory food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. Obviously, Isaac is not the only one in this passage who's dominated by the flesh. Here's his wife, Rebecca. Uh, she may have lost all sense of respect for Isaac, but uh, she's certainly willing to do whatever's necessary in order to get what Jacob, what she thinks he's supposed to get. We might could expect Rebecca to move in faith and say, you know, God told me, God told me that the elder will serve the younger. God told me that the younger was going to be the one who was blessed over the elder. So I'll just leave God to keep his word. But oh no. I mean, uh, think about it. Isaac has sent him out deer hunting with a bow and arrow. Don't you know that God could have seen to it that he'd never kill a deer for the rest of his life if he'd have wanted to? I mean, after all, he's hunting with a bow and arrow. In case y'all don't know, that's kind of hard to do. I could just trust God. But instead, no, she says, you go and you kill a goat instead of a deer. And while the meat was cooking slowly so as to be tenderly, tender, she prepares the skins of the animals to go on Jacob's arms and neck because Esau was a really hairy guy. She put him in his clothes so that he would not only feel like Esau, he would smell like Esau. And there he goes now into his sea as father. Jacob would lie to his daddy six times in this passage. Isaac asked him who he was, and Jacob said, I am Esau, your firstborn. That's lie number one and lie number two. Jacob said, I have done what you told me to do. 
That's lie number three. Then he told Isaac to eat his game, my venison, but it wasn't venison at all. It was goat. That's lie number four. When Isaac asked how he managed to kill a deer so quickly, Jacob said, because the Lord brought it to me. It's bad when you're lying, and then you bring the Lord into it. Oh, the Lord blessed me. That's lie number five. And the last lie would come when Isaac asked him one more time, are you my son Esau? And Jacob answered, I am. So even though Isaac was a little bit concerned about something, obviously he was also preoccupied with eating his deer meat. So he threw all of his reservations to the wind and he gave Jacob his prophetic blessing so that effectively Abraham's covenant would be passed on to him. Genesis 27 and 27, and he came near and kissed him and he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him and said, Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren. See what I'm talking about? Be master over your brethren. And he said that thinking he was giving that to Esau. Exactly opposite to what God had said. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Did Isaac know what he was doing? Yes, he knew what he was doing. He sure did. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. So as soon as he had obtained that cherished blessing, of course, Jacob left. And as soon as Jacob left, Esau came in. Didn't take him long then to figure out that it was goat that he had eaten instead of venison and to understand the duplicity of Jacob and his mother. Now that his belly's full, his mind's working a lot better. <laughs> He's not so worried about eating. It's interesting that Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of beans and he tried to buy the blessing for a bowl of stew. Esau sold the birthright for a meal. Isaac is willing to give the blessing of the birthright away for a meal. It doesn't make much difference whether it's selling or exchanging. They were both willing to exchange these prophetic and spiritual matters for a single meal. Think about it. Then the discipline, verse 32, And his father Isaac said to him, Who are you? So he said, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. And then Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, Who, where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I have blessed him. And indeed, he shall be blessed. You see, when he heard the voice of Esau, the The Bible says Isaac trembled exceedingly. He knew what this all meant. He knew that God was perfectly aware that he was trying to move around his clearly revealed plan and bless Esau even though God had intended to bless Jacob. He knew that. He knew that God was in the midst of all this. And in an instant then, his heart smote him so that he was filled with fear at the presence and the power of God. His eyes were still blind. But his soul is seeing clearly now, perhaps for the first time in a long time, because he said, I had blessed him, 
and he will be blessed. He couldn't call it back, and he knew it. He had done. He had laid his hands on him. He had blessed him. It was done. Couldn't be undone. Esau began to cry out to Isaac, begging for a blessing. This was not repentance on Esau's part. We know that because of what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. He was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. You see, the blessing went with the birthright. And the Lord takes specific credit in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, for the fact that Esau could not receive one, the blessing, because he had rejected the other, the birthright. That was the right to be the spiritual leader of his family. He was an immoral man and a godless man, and there was no way that God would fill his life with the blessings he so craved so he could waste them on his godless living. Wasn't going to happen. Immediately then Esau responds in rage <laughs> and he threatens to kill his brother Jacob as soon as Isaac died. I'll still get the blessing. I'll get the birthright back. I'll kill you and then I'll have them both. Well, it'd take 43 years before Isaac died and that's a long time to hold a good grudge. 43 years although people are still keeping grudges that long these days. Forty-three years. What God had saw to it that he would not receive, now he's determined to take back by brute force. Those words, of course, came quickly to the ears of Rebecca. She decided this would be a good time for Jacob to go visit the kinfolk. And uh, uh, Genesis chapter 28, and Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife and the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padan Aram to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father. Take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. Take yourself a wife. Did you notice that? How did Isaac get his? Abraham sent his servant out with a fortune, a dowry, to obtain for him a wife. Isaac sends Jacob out and says, go get your wife yourself. From there, the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother, may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger which God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away and he went to Badanaram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. And if Isaac sent Jacob away with a penny, the Bible doesn't say it. He sent him away. Prayed the blessing on him. But he was very much on his own. No doubt Rebecca just thought he'd be gone for a little while. Just stay away long enough for Esau to cool down. And then you come on back and I'll see you again. Rebecca would never see him again. She had died before Jacob came home. She never saw him again. Now that's the story. We'll pick up there next week and we'll begin to see 
all the dealings and how things are playing out. But for tonight, uh, I want us to learn some, some life lessons from this story. Esau and Jacob were raised in a family of faith. Not just any family of faith. Isaac's family of faith. Abraham, Isaac. Quite a family of faith. No matter how great a family of faith you have, you can still lapse into being dominated by the flesh. And that's a lesson we can learn from this story. Isaac was a spiritual leader of his family, and he led them the wrong way. He loved deer meat, and he would give the blessing for a meal. No wonder that Esau would sell the birthright for a meal. Rebekah taught her son how to get what he wanted. No matter what he had to do to get it, you have to lie, lie. You have to cheat, cheat. Jacob would end up having a battle with God that lasted all night before God would break him from that habit. We're not sure that Esau ever really changed. The Bible talks about training up a child in the way that they should go, and that has a lot to do with what we do when we gather together and teaching them about the Bible and coming to church and making sure that people learn the Word of God and the truth of God. But let's learn from this story tonight that Esau and Jacob learned a lot from their parents that they should not have learned. But in the end, it was not uh, Esau, it was not uh, Isaac, rather, who was blamed for Esau's failure. Esau was. God didn't call up Isaac to have a wrestling match with him. <laughs> that showdown would come, as we'll see, with Jacob himself. So while it was Rebekah who taught her son Jacob how to get what he wanted no matter what he had to do to do it, how to lie, how to cheat. It was Isaac who taught his son about the value of food, that he got to have food, He'll trade anything for a meal. Esau learned that lesson well. But ultimately still, it was Esau who was a profane person who rejected God. And it was Jacob who was changed by the power of faith. Jacob. I think hopefully tonight uh, we've seen a few things that we can learn about our own importance as spiritual leaders of our family and of the danger of letting carnality crowd out our love for God and our obedience to His truth. Isaac knew what he was doing when he tried to bless his older son over the younger. He knew it, and yet he did it anyway. Let's learn the lesson of what happens sometimes when we know what God said, and we do just the opposite. It can have a profound effect on our kids. Let's stand together, please.